on this episode of In The Rack Podcast. I think that's kind of where we miss the boat as a profession sometimes too. Like we don't really spend enough time on the customer experience. And I know we could talk for hours about this, but um, I think you're you're dead on, man. We get, we get to start listening more. And I know some of the models aren't really set up to give this optimal experience, all depending on how many patients you have to see. What you got? In the Rack Podcast, where we provide you with a practical framework for breaking PRs in all facets of health and wellness. We are just a couple of bros giving you the simple hows in a world of complex wants. No filters, no scripts, no rules, just straight talk. Talk to them. Now, let's get into the rack with your hosts, Dr. Chad and Dr. Nick. All right, so we got a special episode today. Um, I'm live at the Gray Institute in Adrian, Michigan. I'm being joined in person by Chad Burnham. He was on our last episode talking about conservative care of the shoulder. And I also have our first, very, very first guest from the show, Andrew Walquist, returning to the show from Houston, joining us today. Welcome, gentlemen. Thank you so much for joining me. Cool. Thanks for having us. Yeah, it's a great honor, Steve. Thanks for doing for sure. what you do. Oh, thank you. You're too kind, brother. But we are going to have an awesome uh, dialogue today. We're talking about the internet. Uh, we're starting kicking off our series, YouTube OTPT shoulder pain exercises. Uh, going through, gentlemen, as you guys know, as practitioners are out there getting into the field, we want to do things that are new and exciting. And, you know, YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, all of social media is just an excellent place for us to get ideas and find what's new, what's sexy, right? And we also have patients that are starting to even before they come to commit to going to a physician to get a referral, or maybe it's direct access and they're coming to the clinic and committing to a therapy program with their therapist or trainer, whatever it may be, they might be out there looking on YouTube, those other social media platforms for their own pain and relief exercises that they can do to try to help and fix themselves. And, you know, we all three of us did a, did a search and we were looking for some of the common things that are given and recommended out there, the top things that come through those YouTube videos. And did you guys notice any patterns of anything? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, we were talking about this a little bit in the beginning and I think that, well, the pattern is a lot of the exercises are the same, number one, right? And I think the commonality is that a lot of these exercises are, and we'll, I know we'll talk about this later in the episode, but there's there's a common theme of, of addressing only maybe either just a single joint or, um, the approach to addressing that a joint, you know, and, and we'll, I know we'll, we'll kind of get into that a little bit more in terms of like top down, bottom up and all that. But, um, yeah, it seems like we're going more for the site of pain than we are more for the root cause of, of the problem, which is going to be an interesting conversation to have today for sure. Yeah. And whenever I was looking at different exercises on YouTube, I was really finding they're much more mobility based where they're people that are up there talking to the the listener, the viewer on YouTube is basically saying, this is what you have to stretch out. This is how you do it right. This is, you know, don't do this. And so it's, it's a very um, guarded approach. Just only thinking about, about someone's mobility, which, which for sure, you know, um, th that's a great place to start, but is that the, is that the whole entire um, part of a, a program that we need to give a person? And um I found that a lot of them use different tools like using like a dowel or maybe like using a wall um, to get that mobility as well. And so, um, so what are your guys' thoughts on whenever you have 
a patient that that you're seeing in in the clinic and just say that they come in and they say, yep, you know, I've already failed a little, I've already done a little bit of my own research and, and I just can't get things going. Um, what are some of your assumptions of, of things that they are already being told on these videos? Is it helpful? Is it hurtful? How, how do you guys approach that patient versus someone that's maybe like, a, I don't know, a baby boomer and coming in and just is going to take your word at gospel? Yeah, great question, Andrew. I think when they come in, I'm like, that's great. Tell me what you've been doing. What did you learn? And that might be, I mean, a lot of times, at least in my experience, I find that they're telling me that before I even start really asking them questions, you know, they're there because they're frustrated because they're still in pain. They're, they've tried a round of, you know, quote unquote therapy independently, but I'm asking them, well, what types of exercise were you doing? Can you show me why were you doing these to see what they understand about it? And then really it comes into taking a, you know, doing our evaluation, doing our assessment and what Chad referred to earlier is, okay, do they understand why they were doing that exercise? And maybe we have to explain this was a great exercise. This wasn't a great exercise because the shoulder might not be causing your pain. The other thing I find too, is most patients that do come in and they're already telling you they were doing stuff. They're doing all mobility stuff, whether it's stretching or they're using a distraction band, maybe they're using a different type of uh, lacrosse ball, something for some myofascial stuff, because that's the stuff that is sexy. They can see the improvement right, right away, where maybe it is a loose shoulder and they need more stability. Yeah. Do you have anything to chat on that? Yeah, no, I, I agree. I, I mean, I do, I do the same thing. I mean, it's one of the first questions that I ask after I take like a, a little bit of a history from a patient. It's like, you know, if they've come from somewhere else or they've been doing something on their own because everybody tries to treat themselves or it's like anything, you can find anything on YouTube nowadays. So we're all DIYers, you know, and um, it's interesting, the commonality of the exercises, which I know we're going to be talking about today, but they're still coming to see you because they still have pain, which is also an indicator that whatever you did didn't work. So now we get to figure out why. And I think there's there's a little bit more buy-in, the fact that you've already tried this. It doesn't work. Let me try to help you understand why we're doing what we're doing. So like you said, Steve, it's yes, you, you're, you're going to be given a different exercise that probably doesn't look as cool as it does on the internet, but we also want you to understand why you're doing it, you know, so it all makes sense. How do you handle that situation, Andrew? Yeah, I mean, first, it's uh, kind of what you guys are saying, complimenting the patient on the fact that they're doing something to be the most important healthcare practitioner in the room. I mean, that mm -hmm. that's and my end result for all my patients is that they feel equipped that they can handle, you know, life musculoskeletally, you know, somewhat independently, that they don't need to be handheld through it with me or or anything that they find on the internet. So first is saying kind of, hey, thank, thank you for looking that up. And then just yeah, asking them what, what did work, what didn't work. And that can often lead to a faster result. And, and then I think just promoting, you know, the fact that they're coming to me because they're frustrated, but that they're just an in of one. Like, you know, whenever they're listening to YouTube, they realize that that person's talking to hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of, of people. And then people know, okay, while this person is talking this video, they're not really talking to me. And so I feel like for me, it's my, it's my chance to really do a deeper dive on them, not only their body and, and, but really what they want to do and what drives them and, and what their ultimate goals are. And then just doing that really catered approach and then bringing in, okay, yeah, I can see why this exercise didn't work where, 
or whenever you saw this on on YouTube because you know this is really good for these kind of patients but you're you're more like this kind of patient so this is going to work better for you so so encouraging them the fact that that they are doing good research but then making clear distinguishing um, remarks about how their body differs and what we're going to be doing to get them better yeah I think that's a good point I mean I you always, it's like a, what do they call it? A shit sandwich. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, but, but you really do want to, you know, give them praise for, you know, actually trying to advocate for their health. I think that's a great thing to do. You know, and part of that advocacy is, um, knowing who can help you as well, right? Maybe it's not, you know, your, your primary care, maybe it's not your, your PT or maybe it's not your OT, maybe, but you need to find that person, um, and, and the ability to find that person instead of just looking up, right, you know, and try and do your own research. Because there are people out there that are definitely well equipped to to help you deal with certain situations. Yeah, I think that's great. Yeah, sounds like just, you know, as we all should be doing is just establishing that rapport, letting the patients know that we care, right? They don't know how much we care until they they see it. And I think that's a great opportunity, especially when someone's coming in, they've tried, they failed on their own, and they're probably frustrated. They, they probably looked there, they started on the internet because they didn't want to come to you. Maybe they have an out-of-pocket expense sure. deductible and that's why they're coming. So I think validating those feelings, but also letting them know, hey, we're here for you. And then the magic is really right. And and what we do as practitioners and taking them through that evaluation, that assessment and getting to show them this is why you have pain or it's even better if we establish a great relationship with the patient and they're giving us specific goals of what they want to do. And then we can really break down the movement and say, hey, this is what's really causing your pain. It could be a spine, a scapula, it could even be an, a, a hip issue. And this is why you weren't getting better just doing these standard mobility exercises or TheraBand exercises potentially. Yeah. Right. So let's take one of the more common ones that I saw on the YouTube video, uh, you know, stick, dowel, um, flexion, active assisted. What, what is your guys' take on that? Is that something that you guys frequently do in your clinic? And that, is, that, is that a good one? Is that a bad one? You know, I work in a clinic. Andrew, as the listeners know, they've had a chance to listen to me. Maybe, maybe some of them are starting to ignore when I'm on. But I work, you know, I see a lot of post-op patients. So it's something that, you know, I use, utilize the dowel when it's appropriate for post-op. But if you look at some of, if you go and other practitioners go online and look up like, you know, shoulder impingement, which, which is already a controversial term in itself, are, um, you know, shoulder bursitis, you may see dowel exercises that we call passive or active assistive range of motion exercises on those protocols or, or those orders and, and restoring that motion starting supine. Uh, I think it depends on what's going on in the shoulder. Is it a stiff shoulder? Is it a loose shoulder? Is it just a painful shoulder? I think it, for me, it, it, it depends, right? And what, what's causing the pain. I don't love the exercise, but if it's someone where they're stiff and I need to get some range of motion and that's what they're tolerating, then I'll use it. But I also, there, I think there's other considerations with it, right? I think it depends on how you have the patient's hand. Are they pronated? Are they supinated? Are they thumb up? Because as we know, that can change the, the position of the humeral head. Those are kind of my first thoughts to it. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I, I'm in a separate situation as you. So uh, we are not an insurance-based facility. We're all cash-based. So I don't see a whole bunch of post-ops. So, I mean, I can see the the um, 
the the importance of an exercise like that all depending on the situation like you were saying you know so if somebody's fresh out of surgery maybe it is an applicable exercise for them um but i think it's a good accessory exercise maybe all depending on the situation right um in my situation um i don't really tend to use it too much just because it's not the type of population i'm dealing with now yeah. <clears throat> it's not again not a bad thing but i think that some of these exercises like uh, a cane active assist supine overhead um gets kind of thrown in this protocol where it's just a, an exercise, a gold standard, if you will, you know, and I don't know why some practitioners are doing it. I think they're doing it because they're just so used to doing it, it just becomes um, kind of routine in a sense. Um, but I also think that like it's, it's, it can be overutilized in certain, certain circumstances where these exercises are getting used way too long and we might be losing the benefit of other exercises in the meantime. Yeah. Yep. For me, I, again, I'm not going to add too much diversity. I think it obviously depends too. I feel like one of the things that it is, it, I'll use a term that I don't know how much the listeners are really um, aware of, but that's more of a top-down exercise to where someone is moving the hand, which is whenever as it's moving overhead, that's above the shoulder joint in that kind of anatomical position. You're using that driver, that distal driver to, to reach overhead. Um, I, I would have to admit that that's something that I did so frequently my, my first few years of, of clinical practice that when someone came in with shoulder pain, it's almost the most natural thing to think about. I mean, people have played with like little puppets or watched Sesame Street enough to know that that if someone's below this inanimate object that they can move the little arms pretty well. So it makes sense. Hey, if that works for, for a, a Muppet or someone on Sesame Street, why wouldn't that work for my shoulder too? Let's st stick a stick underneath there and, and lift it up. And so, I mean, I do that all the time. Um, a lot of top-down exercises and, and, you know, with, with varying amounts of success. And so while I'm not going to rag on that exercise, I don't think it's so much of the, of a good comprehensive look about saying, okay, that's not the only way you can get shoulder flexion. You can get shoulder flexion by moving the hand away from the body, but you can also get more the bottom up form where you move the body away from the hand to get shoulder flexion. And when someone's in acute amount of shoulder pain, I found typically more success doing a bottom-up strategy to help get them more mobility, if that's what we're going for, um, doing that bottom-up as opposed to top-down, whether it be with a with a stick or with a pulley or, you know, doing some sort of um, assisted like kind of wall walk or using that other patient's um, unaffected arm to help bring it up. And so, uh, so that's where I've... I, whenever I've looked at all the different videos online, I feel like what they show most of is this top-down movement, which I more gravitate towards the other end of the spectrum at this point of my career. And uh, because I feel like for someone in acute pain, it's just much more beneficial for them to go bottom up. So could you walk the listeners through uh, an, uh, an exercise? I think you did a great job of talking about, you know, the hand being the driver, gave great examples of the top-down approach, but how, how would you educate our listeners to do a top down or excuse me, a bottom up, a bottom up. Uh, yeah. So that again, yeah. that's where you're trying to move your body away from your hand. So someone that has an acute shoulder pain, they can just put their hand on their, on their countertop at home, and then they can just start to walk their body away from, from their hand. And the further they walk, then their trunk is going to flex a little bit more as well. And, and, but that's going to get them a little bit more bottom up shoulder motion. And 
like what you said, Steve, about how the hand position on the dowel changes in a pronated, supinated, or neutral position. You can also do the same thing with a hand on a counter. You know, when you put a person's hand on the counter, they're going obviously going to be more in that pronated position. But you can go thumbs up, you can go palms up, and have them do that same kind of walk back position as well. And and yeah, is that what you're looking for? Yeah, absolutely. But then what's cool about what you're talking about the bottom up, I don't know if you would agree, Chad, is you can even change the the position that they're moving their legs in, right? Rather than just going straight. I mean, we we talk about on this podcast all the time, you got to look at the whole body. Well, if I have someone's hand thumb up on the countertop and they're walking back, I could just have them step back with a single leg, keep their, let's say I have my right, my right arm on the counter, thumb up left leg is, is my stance leg and I'm stepping back, hinging back with my torso, I could even kind of do like a, a different lunge in a different direction, which could maybe facilitate some pelvic and rib motion in different aspects, right? And affect my scapula. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I would agree. I mean, I, I'm definitely with you, Andrew. I'm more of a bottom-up guy in terms of this conversation for sure. Um, <clears throat> we find that well, with, with our clientele, we find that um, not only do we get to put uh, a patient in more of an authentic position right now, they're upright versus on their back, um, but I feel it's you have more variation with your environment, right? Like you could use a wall, you could use like a cage, right? You could hold on to a doorway. We use bands sometimes and get a good distraction force to the shoulder while we're driving through some, some of those motions. Uh, when you're on your back like that, it, it really kind of limits you with what you can do, right? Um, and it's still, still very functional to have somebody stand and kind of move in all those different directions, like you were saying. And, you know, it's, it just, it, it can be more relatable to the, whatever, you know, action that these people are trying to return to. So it's, um, it's, it's definitely more beneficial, I think. But again, it's, a, you know, not to take credibility away from the exercise. Yeah. Um, I think it's, but how long do you do it for? Right. You know, maybe you start there, right. Because maybe they're a little apprehensive of standing up and doing it, but eventually you're going to have to get these people standing and get them feeling more functional with their movements. So it, it can be a progression for sure. I think that's great. I think, you know, that that's a great way to think about all those kind of active assist passive, um, ones. And how do you feel about the other thing? I think we could kind of jump into it because we probably saw people walking the wall or maybe they were, you know, doing different table slides, whatever it may be, using a physio ball, all that stuff. And we could probably debate that. I think considering bottom up is great. But the other big things that, that I saw was some of the common stretches people do. Uh, let's go with the, the, the first one, the, the pec stretch. How do you guys feel about a pec stretch in a doorway? You want, you want me to go first? All right. <laughs> I, think, I think so. I think so. <laughs> um, I, I don't hate it. Um, I, I use it, but I don't do it too much in a doorway. Okay. Um, I will typically either do it holding on to either the true stretch cage, if, if anybody's familiar with what that is, or the wall. And I will have them step kind of in different directions. Um, there's one thing that we don't really, and not to say, not take validity away from it. It's um, we don't do a whole bunch of static stretching in our facility. It's It's very dynamic. Uh, we want people to move in and out of positions, you know, for multiple reasons, but, uh, I think static has a place, but for a lot of our patients, it's, it's very much more dynamic in nature and having people move in different directions and trying to kind of get like that 
fascial stretch, kind of like what we were talking about today is, uh, is super important. You know, I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of good benefits that come from moving in and out of positions. And again, you can, you can adjust the environment so much more when you can move in and out of it versus just being stuck in a doorway. Um, I'll go ahead and go maybe a little bit to the opposite of the spectrum. Probably one of my most commonly given ones is in the doorway. Some of that is just because of um, everyone at least has two doors into their house, I'm, I'm hoping. And and they got a lot more uh, around the office. And so it's a very easy way for me to show them, hey, no matter where you are, you know, you can make this into routine anytime that you're even hopping out of the bathroom or walking into the kitchen, you know, you can just stop and just do a, a few seconds stretch at the door just to help facilitate what I'm trying to trying to get them. Um, as far as static versus dynamic, you know, it's always dependent for me on the patient and what their and what their confidence level is and, and how much they can move. But I like how it's pretty easy in a door frame to have that person's hand or elbow slide up or down, or you can also have them um, you know, go more, you know, palm up on the door, palm down. So there, there's a lot of different ways that you can change variability uh, without requiring uh, any special piece of equipment. So that's a very common one that, that I like to give. And whether or not I'm changing where their hand position is or their body position, Steve, you're talking about how with a walk back, you can do different lunges. Whenever I have someone in door and a pec stretch, I'm moving their foot positions a lot. I'm moving their pelvic positions a lot. I'm using their opposite hand to drive different uh, different directions whenever they're they're in the doorway to find a position of success and trying to get the the real reaction I'm looking for with with their body. Yeah, and I think too, you know, to add to that, I, I like you know how you guys are giving. Hey, there's 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 just different perspectives and and how we can do things here and and also, I mean, I I I do what both of you guys do. I think it depends on what what's going on in the shoulder, for example, I really like it for a frozen shoulder. Cause if we know if it's a true frozen shoulder, there's an issue at the glenohumeral joint and that get, and that kind of can isolate that in some patients, if they're really, really stiff, they're going to have a problem getting into that 90, 90 position. It's really kind of affect their post cap. Obviously we want to clear out the anterior chain of the shoulder there, but sometimes I find that can be helpful for getting them, trying to get them into that position. And I'll kind of use sometimes a combination. I love what Chad said, I feel like when you're dynamic, you turn on more proprioceptors. I might have them do like a, not a doorway stretch where you're using both arms, but maybe I'll do a single arm. Let's say I put my right foot forward and my right arm forearm on the uh, door frame, and then I'm using my left arm and my eyes are following my left arm as I'm rotating away from my body. And then I'm coming back into it just to kind of lengthen that pec, because we think about the way those muscle fibers run, I kind of like a combination of that for a home program. If it's, if the patient can tolerate it, depending where they're at. I think this is a good conversation just in general, just because I mean, as, as a, everybody knows what a simple doorway pec stretch looks like, right? But, yeah. I mean, Andrew made a good point. It's like, we're not just stepping through the doorway, right? We can use our pelvis, we can use our trunk, you know what I mean? And maybe, maybe we're using it to gain a little bit more rotation in the shoulder instead of trying to stretch the the pecs, right? Like, you know, it, it can be used for a lot more reasons than, you know, than the picture on the home exercise program, right? Absolutely. So, Absolutely. Yeah, which, which I think that feeds into what patients uh, can have uh, that little, uh, again, depending on what they are receiving from behind the screen from the person talking to them about what the idea behind that stretch is. My guess is, is the way that we're talking about these stretches, they're a lot more 
less rigid, I guess I should say, just me and not necessarily more dynamic, but, but through what we've been talking about, we've, we say, Hey, you can use a stick and you can use a countertop. You can use a true stretch. You can use a door frame, but the way that they showed it on the video might've been just with their elbow in one specific position. And, and so that's all the patient knew is just they're following instructions. My elbow has to be exactly at shoulder height whenever I'm getting into this pec stretch. And I, and I have to keep my body perfectly erect. And then, and then I have to start to walk through. And then, I mean, that might be more irritating their shoulder than anything. And so that's where, again, whenever I'm talking to a patient about what kind of positions of success or failure they've had with their body. If they say, yeah, you know, I already tried that stretch in the doorway. You know, I don't know if I want to do that. I mean, if they have like pretty much like legitimate PTSD from that stretch, I'm not going to get them in that position, but more often than not, I'm going to say, okay, can you just show me exactly how you were doing that? And maybe they were just doing it in a way that was too rigid for their body and they're overcomplicating the matter that then all I would have to do is put them into a little bit more of an external rotate position with their humerus. Or maybe I would have to change their pelvis a few degrees to the right or left just to get that stretch to actually occur through the pec rather than maybe further irritate a shoulder impingement. Yeah. I think those are all great considerations. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's also important to like how you can modify a certain exercise because a lot of patients will perceive a certain motion as painful, right? Like if, like Andrew was just saying, like this patient has PTSD from lifting their arm up overhead. So how can we still get shoulder flexion without the patient thinking they're doing shoulder flexion? Right. Um, and I think that's where that bottom up uh, approach comes in and you're just like, yeah, man, we're just going to step back. You're just going to keep your hand on this doorway frame or this, this cage, and we're still going to get shoulder flexion. Damn, it's better. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like the perception of them not being in this position because they might perceive that position as pain being a, a threatening position for some of these people. If you can kind of take that away from them and them still get the benefit of the exercise, I think it's huge. Yeah. Yeah. Let's jump into Andrew. Did you have anything else to add or I feel like I cut you off there? No, no, no. I kind of like what Chad was just saying about how you're tricking that person into a position of success. And, you know, there was a probably period of time in my career. Well, when I started doing pendulums, those codmans, like, like a master, you know, you know, that that's something yes. that a lot of my patients got, you know, it's, it's so great. And then after thinking about more going through get fellowship and, and thinking more about function, you know, about how someone functions. And then, you know, I felt like that fell to the wayside. So I'm like, people really don't care how their hand is waving in front of their body unless they're waving away a fart or something, you know, it's, <laughs> it, it made no sense to me of the why, but I, I would have to admit I'm, I'm growing a little bit closer to liking that because a true, a true pendulum for someone that has PTSD you know, it is hugely bottom up for them. And the very fact when they're bending over, even though I really don't like their, their, their thoracic posture, even their scapular posture, the very fact when they bend over, they're almost giving themselves 90 degrees of shoulder flexion completely passively. Mm -hmm. And that's really fun to point out to some patients that have no success. If they're coming into the clinic, they're like, yeah, I can't even elevate my, my hand to reach inside my refrigerator. If you just have them bend over, you know, you can just say, Hey, look, your shoulder, your, your hand is at shoulder height right now. You know, you just, you know, you have 90 degrees of shoulder flexion and you didn't even have to try very hard. Your body really can do this. And so then maybe that's my starting point is just, is having them that low and more of a bent over position, but then starting to progress them to more upright and doing more challenging bottom up movements and to where they can finally find that success. I love that. I think you said that beautifully. Let's jump in. Let's transition here. Let's talk about 
probably the most controversial stretch. I even tell my patients it's a little controversial. Um, I I know people like there's different variations of this stretch. There's a, the classic sleeper stretch, modified sleeper stretch. How do you guys feel about the sleeper stretch? I've seen that on some videos. Um, so I, I, I was guilty of doing this stretch for years when I first came out. Um, I'm sure we all were at some point, right? I still give it sometimes. Yeah. It's controversial, you know? Yep. I I, and I think, again, it, it all depends on the patient, right? Some patients love it. Some patients don't love it, right? Um, you know, and you can jump down the whole rabbit hole of, of shoulder impingement and all that. But I remember I was at a conference like 10 years ago and somebody was up the, at, uh, on the stage and, and they actually showed the sleeper stretch and then they turned the picture um, to the side Hawkins Kennedy, and it looks right? like a Hawkins Kennedy. And I'm like, yeah. Holy crap. I, I didn't even realize that I've been doing that for so long. And I'm like, no wonder, but, but you know, some patients are okay with it. Some patients aren't okay with it. So again, I think it depends, but I also think it like, I think you have to ask yourself why you're doing the stretch too, right? Like I think there's other ways to get shoulder internal rotation without having them fixed on a table too, you know? Yep. Yeah. And I like how you just ended that chat by just saying that the whole function, the whole idea, which I'd hope if anyone's giving sleeper stretches because a person's lacking internal rotation and, and to that, I'd say, okay, well, how did you notice the deficit of internal rotation? More than likely, if I were to ask a clinician that that gave sleeper stretch, my guess is because they tested that person's internal rotation with that patient lying supine on the table with their elbow at 90 degrees of abduction and just had, had to go down. So in terms of in trying to improve that motion, you know, of that internal rotation, as we've been taught how to classically um, goni it at school, if I look at at that and say, if, you, if you're looking at improving that motion, the sleeper stretch is a genius stretch for that person because it is exactly in that position that you're trying to get that. But when you take a really big step back, is is that patient asking you to get that kind of internal rotation? Do they need to be internally rotated with their with their shoulder flexed out to 90 degrees at abduction and, and their hand all the way down. That's that's not a position too many people find their find find their shoulder in during the day. <clears throat> Most people are lacking internal rotation more reaching behind their back, you know, putting on their bra, pulling up their pants, you know, putting on a mm-hmm. putting on a belt loop. That kind of internal rotation, you know, demands more than just shoulder gh internal rotation that requires a lot more scapular mobility some rib mobility even some good thoracic posture dare i even say some pelvic mobility as well in order to reach behind someone's back so so if that's the kind of internal rotation someone's wanting to get i feel like the the treatment the exercise should be very very different than than, than that sleeper stretch. Now, does that mean I never give someone a, a sleeper stretch? No, <clears throat> I, I, it's definitely probably one of the last ones I gravitate to as, as I'm trying to get more isolated into the actual joint, if they're tr- truly dealing with some sort of capsular restriction. But more often than not, I'm, my, my gaze is not just focused on that shoulder. It's, it's expanded up, upon at the very least that whole entire upper quarter, if not their whole entire upper body. What cases are you gentlemen giving out the sleeper stretch for? Anything specific? Um, for me, I mean, definitely some frozen shoulder. Um, as as I have started more global with them and doing a lot of bottom up, <clears throat> and they're, and they're still having just a little bit of that that sticky posterior capsule. That's uh, you you see me you see me start to give that around that time. Okay. 
Yeah, I would agree with Andrew. I, I would say that most of the time where I'm giving a, a good stretch for shoulder internal rotation, it's it's exactly like he stated. It's like, you know, a patient's not going to say, I can't, you know, put myself in the sleeper stretch position. Like they're not ever really in that position, right? Um, but they do have a problem, like you, like Andrew said, you know, I can't put my bra on. That's a big deal for some people. You know what I mean? That's, yep. that's very limiting. Or I can't like, you know, grab my belt and put my belt on. Um, so I, I tend to like to gravitate towards like if a, if you have a true stretcher, you have just even like a, like a door frame, a door. Right? Well, you could use, yeah, you could use a door, door frame. frame yeah. You can. Yep. And kind of reaching behind your back to tolerance, right? You always want to make everything successful. You never want to make it like super painful. And then once you get in that position and they're actually reaching behind their back, a simple pelvic driver is super easy, right? Like, and it might not be that much in the beginning, you know, yep. and then you get to the point where they can lift a little bit higher and then drive a little bit more. Maybe it's forward backwards drivers. Maybe it's side to side, maybe side to side is too much. So you go forward backwards first and then do side to side. So it's, it's kind of playing with, with those different positions. Um, and again, like you're, you're not like reaching your back up. Like, I mean, how many, I still do this occasionally, but I don't do it as much where like we used to do the dowel behind the back and pulling the, the, sh the arm oh, back. Sure. It's, it's oh, very yeah. aggressive. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah. how can we make that less aggressive and less intimidating of an exercise and more functional? Right. Cause yeah. I mean, every time I put my bra on, if I had to do that, yeah. I wouldn't put a dowel behind my back to lift my arm up high yep. enough to do that. Yep. Right. So, um, I think it's just, it's getting closer to, you know, the, the function of the function, yeah. if you will. Might as well do some chair and bench dips. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just no, no. Uh, I think that's a, that's a great point. And like what Chad was saying for the listeners out there, he's saying, you know, have that person bring their arm behind their back, or maybe it's at their bottom where they can tolerate. And if you have like a door frame or some type of corner, or maybe they have a column in their house where it's tolerable. And then they're just kind of moving their pelvis back and forth, side to side rotation. Um, cause that's going to change. That's going to affect uh, the, the spine, the ribs, um, the position of the scapula. And then we just kind of look, we build in a successful threshold and then we look to take it and challenge it more. I think that's great. Um, what about the opposite spectrum here? Let's talk about one more stretch and then just a couple looks like strengthening stability exercises. And then we can kind of transition into some stuff. I know Andrew wanted to get into, but, uh, I, I looked up a study a couple of years ago because I was struggling with do I want to give the sleeper stretch? Do I not? Cause I mean, how many patients do it correctly, right? No matter how many times you go over it with them, right? Like they're trying to get their arm down to the table and it shouldn't go to the table or to the floor in that position. But I looked up a study on, um, it was called a randomized control comparison of stretching procedures for the posterior shoulder tightness. And it compared basically the cross body stretch to the sleeper stretch. And it found at the end of that article that the cross body stretch was, uh, a better fit, more superior to that. How do you guys feel about the cross body stretch? I, I use cross body stretch all the time, but it's not like how you would think, right? I, I don't use it to, so I think you have to, again, we always go back to why am I doing it? Right. So, um, I tend to like to start patients in more of a stable position, meaning they will reach cross body to whether it's like a door frame or something so that they're more stable to start and then work on mobility, whether it's, you know, uh, a hip drive or, or a thoracic spine drive, all depending on what, what I'm trying to get. Um, and then kind of work my way, whether I'm bringing the arm up, bringing it down. Um, and, and again, like I, I know that the, the, the standard exercise is to take one hand and you just kind of pull the other arm across and then we hold it for a certain period of time. But, um, being able to go in and out of those positions is always super beneficial. And if you can have a stable, 
uh, environment for that, then you can create more mobility in that joint, all depending on which joint you're trying to work on. Yeah. What I would cross body adduction. I mean, there's also a special test of that. That's, that's an impingement test yep. as well. Oh, yeah. um, that's yep. some orthopedists use. And so re- recognizing that that can be, um, if you're closing down some of that space in, in the glenohumeral joint, and that can be fostering some impingement. And if someone feels something in the shoulder and that, in that stretch, is that really what you're wanting to foster? Can you prove to that patient or even to yourself that that's a stretch or is it a slight irritation? Um, it's really difficult to know. Um, so, but what I, what I would say to that when someone's lacking in that cross body movement, one of my strategies, cause I mean, everyone still has to sit and reach forward to get the salt shaker off the table or, or reach forward and uh, be able to, when, whenever they're, whenever they're driving the car, if it's the right shoulder turning the steering wheel to the left, that right hand still has to cross their body in, in a safe manner. And so one of my strategies that I use for that is if someone's right shoulder is what's impacting them they're re- and they're having difficulty reaching towards their left, what, what am I asking their whole entire body to do? If the shoulder is hurt and doesn't like impinging itself, can I teach that person to reach to the left by giving them a little bit more thoracic left rotation or pelvic left rotation? And that way I can more neutralize that that potentially more irritable full cross body adduction, horizontal adduction of the shoulder. And so if I'm seeing someone be limited in that, I go more that bottom up strategy. I say, okay, if they're having tough time bringing their right hand towards the left across their body, let's first actually get their ribs to want to do that better. Let's go ahead and maybe get their pelt. Well, I might have to start at the pelvis too if it's if it's directly post op. Can I teach their body to left rotate through space better? Because if I get the rest of their body, you know, lubricated enough to want to rotate to the left, whenever they have to reach with that right hand across their body, I know I'm going to be getting many more of their structures more willing to help contribute to that global m- movement than just their shoulder. So, so that would be one of those things that I would start more global. And if someone's really still having some issues just saying putting on uh, putting on their deodorant underneath that arm well yeah then then i will entertain that kind of stretch for them yeah i love that andrew that's actually a strategy that i use is and that's a good opportunity i always drill this with our listeners you know about hey treat the whole body and i think that you you referenced post-op you know to to get better left rotation you know so something simple i might do is if i, I like to start global then i might like to isolate it because i think globally we turn on more proprioceptors, right? We know that to turn on proprioceptors, muscles like to be lengthened. So maybe you're taking that right arm. And if it's someone, you know, someone out there listening is like, Hey, I work with a geriatric population. Well, Hey, use a wall, use a cage, use a column, use a door frame, something where they can have two points of contact to feel stable with their left arm. Um, and even maybe leg to touching that or foot. And then what they could do is they could take their right arm, reach across their body, but at the same time, step with their right leg across their body and we're kind of getting a opposite side rotational reach and then maybe we're taking away the foot and then we're just reaching but really facilitating we're putting our hands on the ribs or the scapula as a therapist behind them and helping facilitate some rotation and then maybe we take away the rotation and see if the arm got any better that's a strategy i've utilized genius i like it that's right. Genius. Remember that. That. You'd also have to be familiar with how to use FMR to do that. You though. would, you would, you would. Yes, I know. Shout out to the grants. All these yeah. people are like, are these guys, are these guys getting pl- you know paid by the grants? Yeah. Like, no, no, I'm not just, just a fellow, but it's a good strategy. You could simply 
play around with. I think sometimes, uh, I stole this from Andrew when I used to work with him down in Phoenix. I used to say, this is a nice try, Steve, exercise. Because sometimes, <laughs> you know, it's going to be successful. Sometimes it's not going to be. But I think that's where patients see the effort. They, they know you're trying the sure. best for them. Um, so we've touched a lot on mobility exercises. But one thing I've seen here on YouTube that was suggested, and also it's funny because I do coach at a CrossFit gym, and a lot of coaches utilize this for a warm-up whenever we're going to go overhead. But that's besides the point, but these exercises, the old classic Y, uh, you're prone Y's, T's, W's, I's. How do you guys feel about those? So uh, I'll take, I'll take a, uh, a different approach with this one. So I'm not going to hate on it. Right. Yeah. And I, again, it's in, it's in context, right? Yes. Um, I actually have a patient right now that I'm doing them for, and it's really for the thoracic spine. And she has a hard time with not only activation of the thoracic spine, but she also has a hard time with extension. So I like to put people in a prone position and do my TYIs because it helps not only to better activate the thoracic spine, but thoracic, uh, thoracic spine through extension, which is what I like. So um, it, it complements her training very well. So I've kind of have her starting there as a starting point before I do anything else because Right now, it's just if, if you don't have good extension of the thoracic spine, we also know that the shoulder is going to get jammed up, right? So the shoulder is not going to love that position. So I feel it's a great step for her, a great starting point to get her cueing to the point where this is what I want your thoracic spine to do to help your shoulder in this case. Yeah, I'm not going to hate on it either. If anything, I'd hate on doing a limited ranges of motion. You know, a lot of people, if they're absolutely prone, arm hanging off the table, you know, whenever they're just limiting that motion only to bringing it parallel to the floor. You know, why can't you go further? Why shouldn't you go further? And some of it's the limitation of them being prone. I rarely do eyes, Y's, and T's in, in, a, in a prone position. More often I do more in a quadruped position because that will allow them to go a little bit more past neutral. And whenever they're doing that going, sorry, past neutral meaning past horizontal, and when they go past that position, then what, what are we really inviting for them? We're inviting a little bit more thoracic rotation. And so I find whenever someone's in that quadruped, if they're doing just say like a T with their, with their hand or a reverse fly, whatever exercise you want to call it, I don't just stop them when they're parallel. Keep it going. Keep it rotating up towards the ceiling as far as you can. That will not only help them with, with what I would think is the general idea of why you're doing that. You're trying to get your, you know, mid trap and rhomboid stronger is probably what I'd hear most personal trainers say, you know, if, when you're adding in that, that rotation, you're getting so much more activation of that hand that, that, that is going behind the back. But then it's easy then to coach that patient. If their right hand is doing that T position and they're going up all the way to the ceiling that they can use their left hand. If they're in the quad in the quadruped position to press a little bit. And by pressing down with that left hand, they're facilitating even more right rotation. Then all of a sudden you've taken one exercise that was only meant for maybe two or three muscles in uh, periscopular muscles. Then all of a sudden you are getting so many more muscles engaged, so many more proprioceptors engaged, all facilitating exactly what Chad was saying. It's not just for shoulder position. You're trying to get thoracic position. And, and why wouldn't you want to engage more muscles that's going to help foster that whole entire person's upper body into a, into a better position? I was just going to ask you that. If, I felt like you were going to go there, Andrew, but two, I like what you're saying there because if we think about, we know we need thoracic spine extension to get the posterior tilt of the scapula, but also if you think about the anatomy of the thoracic spine, 
there's really not a lot of sagittal plane, so flexion and extension in the upper thoracic spine as there is in the lower. So if you think about the way the facets go up the spine, they kind of fan out a little bit more. So there's more rotation, right? So at, at the upper thoracic spine as, as compared to the lower thoracic spine. So I think adding in that rotational component is highly effective, maybe enhances the exercise. And is, what would you agree with that, Chad? Or? Yeah. I mean, I, I think that the consensus here is to say that we're not trying to utilize an exercise like that as a, an isolated shoulder strengthening exercise. We're using it to facilitate probably better function of the upper yep. extremity, right? Yep. Through the thoracic spine. Yeah. Yeah. How do we feel about one, one more exercise here? Can't believe we almost left it off the table. Let's talk about TheraBand, 90 degrees elbow flexion, elbow against the trunk, internal and external rotation. Very common. You see it on YouTube. Um, you see it in the clinic. I do it with my patients, but I'm seeing a lot of post-op post -op patients. How do you guys feel about that? You want to take I'll, this I'll, I'll speak. I'll, I'll, I'll <laughs> Chad, Chad's getting a little fired up, it looks like, over here. We might have to go back to the conference I'll, and stop recording. I'll see. I'll see what Andrew says first. Okay. Okay. Oh yeah. No. Yeah. I, I can't remember the last time I gave that to a patient. Okay, to be yeah, quite honest. Uh, even, wow. Oh wow. Even e even post op. Yeah. Even post op. Because wow, that was okay. I, and even to that, Steve. I'm sorry to say, I'd say especially post op. Wow. You know, okay. I feel like whenever you know, though, and there's a lot of great evidence on these exercises and what they do and what muscles that they turn on. And, and, you know, one of the most, uh, one of the ones that I remember, it's not like this is research that I love reading on a regular basis, but what I know is that if through EMG studies, when you're doing those isolated ER and IR exercises, are you activating the rotator cuff at a pretty high level? Absolutely, you are. I, there's plenty of research that 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 supports whenever you do an isolated 90 degrees external rotation that you're getting higher EMG activities of of infraspinatus, of teres minor, and probably some supra. And then when you're going in uh, internal rotation, your subscap is is starting to to peak on those on those EMG um, tape readings, right? Post op, is that exactly what you want to do? post-op, is that actually the kindest thing you want to do? If I were to interview the rotator cuff and just say, hey, infraspinatus, how's life been recently? Infraspinatus would say, well, two weeks ago, I had someone really disturb me. They cut into me. They they yanked on my tendon. They 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 lassoed something around and then, then they drilled me back onto a bone. Life sucks for me right now. Leave me alone. And so... It, it, especially post-op, that's what I believe an infraspinatus would be saying. And so who am I to be like, hey, infraspinatus, I got a great idea. Let me give you this TheraBand. I want you to work and only you. I mean, you know, in that in this position, elbows flex at 90 and, and, and externally rotating. I'm sorry, you know, mid-trap can't really help out too much. Thoracic ro rotators can't help out too much. Infraspinatus, you, you got to work real hard. And I would feel bad for poor infraspinatus. He, he's saying, leave me alone. I, I haven't had the best month of my life or a couple of weeks of my life post-op. I, I don't want to do this. So, so I look at that kind of as an isolated exercise that looks, that can be very cruel to a muscle, a tendon, the, the bone that, that, that it got um, anchored into. 
I, I hesitate giving that exercise to anybody based on, on that. But then I also say, I don't know too many people that want to have little tight T-Rex arms moving their hands left and right with, with that kind of load. So I, I doesn't really pass my litmus test, test of function. And when I interview the muscles, especially post-op, I would say, they would say, I don't like, I, I don't like this exercise either. Well, that's good. Cause I know Chad doesn't see as many post-op patients compared to you and I, Andrew, but I'll ask you, cause I know it's about shoulder pain. The episode's about shoulder pain, people trying to solve themselves, what they're seeing on the internet, what the practitioners are looking at online. But let me ask you then for someone who's doing post-op and this is a learning opportunity for me here. I love the way you're challenging me here is what would you give instead then for that post-op patient? And maybe this is a good segue into Chad too, after you give well, me an yeah, answer. And, that, and, and I feel like that's the segue to where I want to be going with, with this discussion is that just because the shoulder's hurting, is it the shoulder's fault? Um, is it, is it the, is it the criminal that has to be focused on and has to be reprimanded and has to be coached or is it truly the victim that needs to be supported? That needs to be maybe even coddled for a little bit, um, and encouraged, you know, a lot, I, my view for a lot of patients in shoulder pain, well, and especially post-op is that, is that the shoulder is, is the victim. And, and if we treat this victim as a true victim of, of a crime, I don't think that we'd ask it to do too much. We wouldn't definitely ask it to, yeah, to, to, to do things that, that would threaten its safety. And so I feel like I'm doing the best as of my job as, as a patient, you know, working for orthopedic surgeons that I'm not screwing up the good work that they did. I, I don't want to be the guy that, that, that risks the integrity of, of that repair. All right. I like it. So you don't have a suggestion for me to go. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Yes. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. I, <laughs> I, I, I forgot your question. Thank you for keeping yeah. me on track. I get <laughs> yeah. on segues all the time. Well, we'll right, segue yeah, so what, that, what would I give you? Well, I mean, if uh, first it's intention, what, what are you intending to get? I would assume if you're giving that as, as an exercise post-op that they're in a decent strengthening phase of recovery and that, and that they have probably have, over 80% of their normal range of motion back and that, and that your intention would be to say, Hey, this person needs to rotate through space a little bit better. What should I give this person to give them more external rotation? I would say, well, what's wrong with some sort of horizontal abduction or actually what's wrong with the exercise that we were just talking about? Why can't you get that person quadruped and start to do some of the, 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 um, the T's that whenever their hands move out straight to their side in a quadruped position, you know, at their first, um, strengthening phase kind of post-op wherever I'm taking them through, through things. Um, and I'm much more confident loading into that tissue that was, that just had surgery. I like doing, um, a lot of that activation of, of getting that extra rotation by having the unaffected arm doing that T. So just like what I was saying earlier, if it was the right shoulder, that just had surgery, that right shoulder is the one on the ground and that left arm is raising all the way up. And as that left arm raises up all the way towards up the ceiling, that right hand is reaching out towards the side. Yes, you're getting a little bit more pec stability in, in, into that, but you are actually engaging some of those external rotators to do something in life. It's much more of a closed chain weight bearing exercise for them, but I'd start them with that before I'd have their right arm do, do the, the mirror image of that exercise. So that would be my, my go-to strategy is saying, hey, how can we still help this muscle have some muscular friends that can turn on and support the joint without taking more advantage of it? And so in by doing that, they're 
I would promote. I would say they're getting external rotation. I don't have the EMG studies to back that out like like a lot of our uh, colleagues have, have given us, but I do believe that even through palpation, you'd be able to put your hand on their infospinase and be like, yep, that's turned on. As long as it's turning on, I think that that's going to be a good exercise to get them stronger. Okay. And we'll transition into Chad because he can speak to probably more non-surgical care. Do you give it out? I mean, it's on YouTube, like, hey, do these. Yeah, I, I would agree with Andrew on this one. It's been a long time since I've done these. Um, <clears throat> a lot of times I will pre-position but through certain motions, you know what I mean? Um, kind of go along with, with what you guys were talking about with the, uh, I know I don't see as many post-op as you guys do, but, uh, for the small percentage that I do, I tend to favor more like compression through the joint. So I would have somebody, you know, if they're very post-op, maybe just kind of putting themselves in like a push-up position on the table. Right. And then just doing like a little reach forward side, you know, maybe even do a little thread the needle if they can, if they can tolerate it. And uh, I think like Andrew said, like, you're still going to get some activation through there. And if you think about activation is, is, is uh, a form of lengthening that muscle as well. So if you can somehow lengthen that muscle without having to create this isolated, you know, TheraBand, you know, IRER, I think it's, it's less, um, it's less aggressive for the muscle, but it's also more functional, right? You know, cause how many times do people have to like put their hand on something to reach for something or whatever, you know, and it, it, it also creates more stability through the joint too, instead of just having your, your hand out in, in space. Um, in terms of, um, just generalized shoulder pain that we have, I would argue if the rotator cuff is even weak, you know, I, I mean, in, in a lot of the, like what you were talking about overhead athletes or CrossFit athletes that we see, um, it tends to be the quite opposite. It's, it's, they're pretty strong, but they're, they're overactive, you know? Um, and what do we do? We give them TheraBand IR ER because we're like, oh, they have shoulder pain. They must be weak, but they're not weak. I mean, if you've tested them, they're strong, but yet we still give them these TheraBand exercises to make them stronger. Um, and like Andrew was saying, it's like, well, this, this muscle is already pissed off or this complex is already pissed off. And now we're giving it something that it's already getting too much of. Um, you know, is there something else down that chain that's causing that shoulder to have to work really, really hard, you know, because it's working too hard. If you've got somebody that's reaching overhead and they've got, like we were just talking about limited, you know, thoracic extension or rotation, or maybe they got a hip limitation that's causing that shoulder to have to create more of that rotation that it needs because the body is always going to take the path of least resistance. It's going to figure it out. You know, um, that's just how we're designed. So if, if that muscle is getting overutilized because of a limitation somewhere else in the body, I think that's where we need to start. We need to actually calm it down. We need to downregulate that rotator cuff and, you know, give it some, give it some relief. I think that's, that's the approach that we typically go through. I think that's a great segue, Andrew, into what you wanted to get into. Is it even the shoulder causing the issue, right? Most of us who are trained, um, that's how I was trained. I, I learned a lot. I still utilize a lot of those techniques, but I was trained, Hey, you, you look local first, you look at the joint, you, you palpate, you take them through range of motion, passive range of motion, you uh, assess the capsule, ligamentous manual muscle testing. Um, could you guys speak to that? How do we, for the practitioners out there, how do you, how do you know if it's truly the shoulder or not? What are, what are you guys doing in clinic? Well, I think that's where having some sort of comprehensive whole body, screen is helpful and there's different products out there and i mean with the gray institute there's 3d maps but there's other ones that like uh, like gray cook has and you know that there, there's different whole body analyses that, that you can take through so if anything that's what i'd encourage a 
a listener that is used to treating in a very local way. And whenever someone comes in with shoulder pain, that all they're doing is looking at their shoulder and maybe looking a little bit above the joint at the neck, which that's really not the joint above the shoulder, but that's that I digress. And at the elbow, no, look at their whole entire body. How does it really function? It's a, it's quite incredible to me whenever I was helped encourage, help mentored and encouraged to look at the whole entire body, how many people's shoulder pains that were completely assisted by giving giving them the gift of more hip flexibility by giving them a little bit more spinal flexibility if someone is stuck in a in a in a sitting posture for a lot of their day which that number is growing in in our society and then and then they're trying to stand up and to where they're not really even be able to stand very well erect, if not even very much past neutral, and they're doing something over their head and then and their shoulder tweaks in a positive nears impingement test. Is it really their shoulder that is the criminal behind this? No, their shoulder is trying to go beyond its normal means to get maybe trying to think it has to get 190 degrees of shoulder flexion where that's completely impossible. And the reason why it's doing that is because the hips are dragging them down. Their spine is dragging them down and just giving that person the gift of just opening up that anterior chain. I mean, I've been, I've been so humbled by how many patients that I have given that to, to them and that it's worked for them. And then I remember all the patients in the past that I completely failed because I'd never even chose to look downstream. I, I, it didn't even occur to me to, to, to look at those things. And, and I, and I, and I probably beat up their shoulder by doing all these different kinds of extra exercises and, and, or, or mobility. And, and all I had to do was just look a little bit further down to see how I could give their whole body the gift of moving the way it needs to move with, with their function. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. I mean, it's, 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 I mean, if you want to make it relatable to another place in the body, it's like the knee is a great example. I mean, how many patients do I have come in where they have knee pain? And I don't even touch their knee. I mean, maybe you do just to make them feel better about it. Right. But that's not where the emphasis is. Even the shoulder. Like I had a picture the other day that came in and I, I, I didn't want to touch his shoulder, even though I knew that's what he wanted. The kid's 17, right? So um, you kind of have to make them, you almost, you almost kind of have to put out the fire sometimes too, like treat, treat it, treat it symptomatically. I know we've talked about this before, um, but when you're going for the, the, the important or the big rocks, right? You really want to hit where the limiting factors are. And I think Andrew nailed it. Like this kid's anterior chain was all gunked up, anterior chain and thoracic spine. And um, two weeks later, he's like, feeling like a million bucks. So it's like, it's amazing how much of a, of a little bit of movement, even though it's not a lot, um, can make a huge difference up, up the chain for sure. It's all connected. Yeah, I would agree. I think too, you know, to speak to that about starting local, we're not saying, Hey, it's a bad idea to, if someone comes into the clinic with wrist, elbow, shoulder, knee, whatever you're treating, whatever pain it is, there are times where that level irritability is so high. We do have to use things, you know, like needling, um, grasped and maybe just pin and stretch technique, maybe some joint mobilization, maybe some, a lot of manual therapy techniques, maybe to some degree, maybe you can make an argument for some physical agent modalities just to get their pain levels down. But I would recommend any of the listeners go out there, take a movement screen course. There are a lot of products, like Andrew said, he mentioned too, the Gray Institute has a great one that we're biased through, uh, the functional movement system guys. I think they have the SFMA, um, I'm not sure of any, I'm sure there's some other movement stuff out there you could Google and find, but that's great because it really lets you know how 
the bodies playing off each other. And I could even take it one step further, which do you guys would agree with or not is if we can really establish a great relationship with the patient as, as you know, sometimes when you're in a facility where maybe you have to meet a certain quota of seeing so many patients, you don't get as much time. Right. So it's kind of, all right, I gotta do my eval. I gotta send them home with a home program. I gotta work on them. I gotta get them out of here. Well, if we can spend the time listening to the patient talking, and if we can get them to really give us some specific activities that they want to get back to or what's really causing the pain, because I've, I've treated those patients where it's frustrating, where they're like, oh, it just hurts all the time. They don't give you nothing. But when I've had those patients that just give me a specific activity or a couple things, we go out and we recreate it in the clinic the best we can. And that tells me a heck of a lot more than my traditional assessment. Yeah. I mean, I think that's kind of where we miss the boat as a profession sometimes too. Like we don't really spend enough time on the customer experience. And I know you could, we could talk for hours about this, but, um, I think you're, you're dead on, man. We get, we get to start listening more. And I know some of the models aren't really set up to give this optimal experience, all depending on how many patients you have to see and all that other stuff. But, um, just being able to listen to these patients is, is more than enough for most of them. And, I mean, just a prime example. I mean, now that we're talking about the shoulder, I had a rot because I don't really see post ops much, you know. And I had this rotator cuff repair previous patient of mine, and she went somewhere else, and I asked her what she was doing. And there's only really so much you can do the first month, you know. I mean, the primary goal and the objective is to give her more range of motion, and you know, and and the therapist did everything to the T, exactly what I did with her, but she felt more comfortable in the environment that that we had only because we were able to have a good conversation, develop that relationship, but the treatment didn't change and she felt better when she left. So it's, it's, it really does matter. You know, I mean, again, you can talk about that for hours, but, um, I think that needs to be part of your assessment because the physical component is important, but the mental component is also part of the rehab process. Right. And that's where absolutely getting that buy-in is, is critical. So kind of to, um, start closing in where, where we began today with the whole YouTube videos. You know, if a patient's coming into you, it's likely because they're frustrated and listening to that story of frustration uh, to them. And then being, if anything, that gives you the license to maybe try some different things. So if you're one of those listeners, if you're one of those clinicians that is just treating, treating very locally and <clears throat> and you're scared about branching out, if you have one of these failure patients that failed with with their YouTube therapist, this is your time to shine. Be like, okay, let me branch out. Let me look at other things down the chain. Let me try some of these different exercises because what the patient will recognize is that you're trying something different than what you just, what, than what they have watched dozens of videos on YouTube. Cause it's very possible that they're walking in and while their shoulder hurts, it might not be the thing that needs to be treating them. And so for them, it'll make all the sense in the world to say, Hey, I, re I realize why your body failed at these, at these YouTube shoulder exercises. You didn't fail, but your shoulder did. And the reason why your shoulder did is because it's not your shoulder's fault. Look at this. Look at, you know, look at this part of your body. This is where, where we should really start. And once we start here, I think you're going to be making some good progress. And that way, if you pitch it like that, you, you've, you've probably made that patient's day because you've given them hope. Well, number one, you listen to them. Um, and then, then you've given them hope. You've given them a direction about where to where to take the next steps. And and I think through that, that patient will have that valuable patient experience. Is what exactly what Chad's saying. Like I mean, that that goes so far above and beyond to what what we were ever coached in school. And I think that's becoming more and more important as I have more years underneath my belt. It's really about how the patient feels. And if they feel like 
if they leave there feeling that that you listened to them, that you cared for them, and you gave them something different and better than what YouTube has given them, they, they will keep on coming back to you and they'll be your best patient evangelist. Thousand percent. Wow. I was going to ask for takeaways for you gentlemen, but I think Andrew, I think you ended the episode for us. I think that was a perfect way to end the episode. <laughs> You'd have to agree, right? <laughs> well, sure. Just, just <laughs> with you, Steve, I'll, I'll agree to almost anything <laughs> that you say. Well, in that case, you would agree you'd want to give me some free money, right? <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just kidding. Just come uh, down visit me in Houston, you know? It's it's, it's all right. Yeah, we have to get down there. We, we definitely will. We miss seeing you around. Um, I think that was a great way to end it, close out the show. Um, I appreciate the fruitful conversation. You guys have given me some things to think about here, and hopefully they've given some things to the listeners to think about too, what we're doing in clinic. And, um, you know, it's not to say these exercises are bad, but hopefully we're just giving you a different perspective here and there are three people's perspective, but it doesn't mean that we're right. It doesn't mean we're wrong, but just something to think about. Uh, we should always continue to evolve and look to get better. And I always tell, I've been, you know, giving some in services to our staff where I work. And I, the thing I said, we got to be comfortable being uncomfortable. And I think we have to be willing to always, learn and challenge ourselves. And if we continue to do that, we're going to continue to improve our outcomes and um, just improve our patient care. So I thank you gentlemen for your time today. And uh, Andrew, will probably let you get back with the family and Chad and I will wrap up here and we'll get back down to that conference that we should be attending right now. So <laughs> thanks a lot, Steve. Appreciate it, man. Yeah. Thank yep, you. Gentlemen. Appreciate you, Steve. Thank you for joining us in the rack this week. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on any future episodes. You can also find us online at ProformPTMA.com or on social media at ProformPTMA. And remember, if you train inside the rack, you better be thinking outside the rack.